I'm assuming, I'm assuming that the sunshine has perhaps faulted a few people who might have gone to the square first. Yep, yep. <laughs> However, this is Jade Farah. And Good those, morning, Morena. For those who need an introduction, he is, he calls himself a disability champion. Wow. I hate the word advocate, like, what does that even mean? So, champion works. And just on the, also, he was part of the high-level designing prototype. And it was my fault. <laughs> well, not just my fault. And I'm yet to really discover what he does at Tapoe. So maybe, I don't know, he might not tell us today, today, but at some other time, maybe. I still don't know what I did at Tapoe, but Tapoe's cool. <laughs> and he's really a very, very interesting person to listen to. Very ch he often is um, challenges people you know, as well. So, be prepared to be entertained and challenged. Okay, so again, Morena, good morning everybody. Uh, ju just a bit of a, um, to preface this a bit, I guess, if you're expecting a conventional PC sort of presentation, probably a good time to leave right now. <laughs> I, I don't really do that. As Rose said, I am Jay Farah. I'm a content creator. I do YouTube stuff. I make content for Facebook and I live stream on Twitch as well. Uh, I'm passionate about that because the disability narrative seems to be controlled by so many other stakeholders other than disabled people themselves. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But in the spirit of being unconventional about this conversation we're going to have about Disability Day, I actually wanted to throw it back to you guys. Now, the reason why I want to do this is because when I show up to keynote speakers and listen to them talk, actually only about 2% of what they say is interesting to me. Realizing that, I wanted to ask you guys in terms of the theme for today, and I can go back to that, is there anything in particular you're thinking about in terms of your roles, in terms of the interactions that you've had that you really just want to open up about and talk about so I can reflect that with you or you probably you probably weren't expecting that but is there anything because I because I know there are times where people have questions or they don't know how to approach a certain you know aspect of what they're talking about but they only have a really small part that they're interested in so I'm interested, this is this year's um, Day of International Day Disability theme, and naming people with disabilities and ensuring freedom of inequality. The equality makes me a bit nervous. It does for me as well. Because sometimes equality, I've had what's considered equal treatment, yet the outcome is not equal at all, and still has left me on the back foot, so to speak, or mm. still with other things, especially in the workplace. Oh, we treat everyone equally. But that does not mean an equal outcome, so that's just my two cents. Equality has been recognised by the right. Interesting. Yeah. Can, can you talk about that a bit? Well, I mean, I think a lot of us have moved past an idea of equality, and equality is a, is a sort of like a, this lofty goal that we might aspire to. That, but most of us, I think, especially people who work with people in any capacity, recognise that it's like equity is a far better concept. Mm -hmm. And I guess equity of outcomes and 
processes that enable people to reach their potential do disadvantage people like me to a degree. Not in terms of outcome, but in terms of process. Okay, oh, so. Please, sorry, sorry. No, no, that's fine. That, this is really what I want. I, make, I want to make this something that's valuable to you guys, something you can use. And hearing what you said, if I could just reflect, you know, my thoughts about equality before coming in today. Uh, for me, and I, and I hope we can all, you know, respect each other's opinion here. For me, when I hear equality, immediately I hear the word comparison. And um, I'm reminded of the famous quote from Albert Einstein, if you uh, judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it, it will never think that it's good enough. And if you don't mind me saying, you, you know, I think that's a very relevant framing for people with disabilities, because we do do things differently. We need a wide range of different supports that doesn't mean we're any less valuable. So, to go back to my point on that one, uh, for me, I simply don't entertain the idea of comparing myself to anybody else. The only person I compare myself to, actually, is myself yesterday. So as long as I do better than I did yesterday, that's good enough for me, and I just wanted to share that. The, the thing about inclusiveness, you know, I had a slide in here about providers. I actually took that out in the end because it was sounding like a bit of a beat-up. But just to say, um, for 30 odd years, providers have had, had the main role in providing that inclusiveness function. I don't need to tell you guys that they've obviously failed at that. And that's why we have a transform system right now. So what what is my what does my value add to that bit? It's creating visibility of disabled people everywhere. And uh, I might be a little bit biased because I am a content creator, but I, but I think you, you know the more we work to show disabled people doing what they love, when they love, where they love that will make the difference, I think, because currently, as far as I understand it anyway, in the, in the conversations that I have, you, you know, you've got a society out there that says disabled people are doing really well because the Ministry of Health is taking care of them. That makes me really nervous. And sometimes I have to pause because, yeah, there's a certain portion of society that thinks it's resolved, that we have no housing issues, employment issues, because the Ministry of Health is paying for it all, and we should be lucky for the opportunity. Yes? Do you think the Ministry of Health is the best organisation to take, to take care of people with disabilities? Uh, no, and I, I did a bit of homework on this around where it originally started out disability used to sit within MSD. So the payment of families and different supports was actually a lot easier about 20 years ago. I work with a lot of, shall we say, more mature people in the national leadership group. So I, so I often get uh, these history lessons about 
what happened. Um, what, what is my solution for the future? I, I would say it's either a disability commission that we need, an independent commission that receives its own funding separate from government actually, or failing that, a disability ministry with its own ring-fenced ring uh, budget. Can I, so are you thinking something more than, far more than the Office of Disability? Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was a joke, but it, in my opinion, uh, the Office for Disability Issues is a bit of a band-aid on a road to doing nothing. I mean, they like to say they have a function in facilitating the report to the UN, but apart from that, I'm not really sure uh, what they do. So, so in terms of impacting disabled people's lives day to day, uh, I've really got not much to say about the Office for Disability Issues, but the people there are nice. It's worth saying. Now, I, the only bit of the theme for this year that I could really uh, find an attachment to was the word empowering. Uh, I absolutely believe that uh, disabled people and their families actually need a lot of help in the empowering space. Um, I, I, I work with disabled young people uh, right now in Auckland and you know, some of the conversations that I was having with youth leaders back in the day are still being had. You, you know, I find it hard to make friends. Uh, my family don't listen to me. Um, th those that come to us from residential facilities, you, you know, they come to us soiled, they're not being taken care of properly. So, so empowerment for me, I get really emotional about this book because I remember as far up as to like 19 years old, I, I really didn't know what was going to happen with my life. I, I didn't really have a plan after school. Transition wasn't even a thing. It was still being developed, the concept of transition when, when I was at school. So to hear these kids with all these apparent resources that we have now still still struggling to even have a sense of identity as a member of our communities is really shocking. And, um, you know, what, what I would say to the disability leaders out there, of which I'm probably one of those, you, you know, we've we got to stop the infighting. We've got to, we, we got to reach, we've got to reach out to the young people and we've got to say, we actually want to help. What, what happens a lot in disability, and I've talked about this in my video content, if you look it up, um, we, we tend to, as disability leaders, get a little bit of leverage and then kick the ladder out and hope that nobody follows behind us. Because you know why? That's threatening. They can take it away from me and I never want to be the way I was before. I'm a little bit different though. But because there's no, there's no fun in climbing up a ladder if your friends can't come. I don't know, I'm, I'm just weird like that. It's, a, it's no fun being isolated up there just as much as it's not fun being isolated down there. 
So yeah, that's my bit about empowering, but it kind of, it's kind of a thing that I want to talk about throughout the presentation. Now the reality check. As much as much as we and I say we as disabled people, as much as we complain about our conditions and, and the environment we live in, even in the wonderful space that you guys have with all the policy changes, you know, I still hear complaining, which is totally fine. Um, you know, earlier this year, I joined a, a delegation on behalf of the Japanese government uh, to Japan, and we got to interact with government officials over there and see what living with a disability was like. Uh, the long and the short of it is, institutions are the default position for all disabled people regardless of ability. Yeah. So, um, you know, the Japanese government was very pleased to show us how sophisticated their hospitals were that were taking care of all these disabled people. Um, the, the societal view of disabled people in Japan is if your family member is not seen as going to produce in the same way as other family members, they actually need to be removed because there is no retirement plan, there is no government assistance in Japan whatsoever, so whatever money you make is whatever money you have. Uh, concepts like human rights for <laughs> disabled people were even a bit of a conversation to have because they're not valued in the same way. But because uh, Japan has signed up to the UN Convention to try and help their <coughs> international image that they accept that they need to keep disabled people alive, which is good, I think, yes. So then, so in the institutions, who pays for that? Is it the family or there's some sort of sign of their rights to the family? It's, it's interesting. So, so, so there's, kind of, there's kind of three things that happen in Japan. There's like a three-way payment system. A third of it is paid by corporate tax. A third of it is paid by the state. And then a third of it is taken from everyone's wages. So even the public system as a whole, the hospitals, everything like that, they're not even funded in the same way ours are. So, so all, all I'm wanting to achieve through this is to say, yep, there's heaps of work to do, and, and I just want to thank all, all of you for the work that you do do. Um, but yeah, there are other places that have it much worse, and you know, seeing Japan firsthand really changed my whole perspective. I, I came back and I sat in my following National Leadership Group meeting, and I just couldn't complain about everything. Everything Sasha was talking about sounded like music to my ears compared to what I witnessed. Can I just jump in there? The last sure. chap I worked with in Hawke's Bay was an English teacher in Japan. Mm -hmm. And he had his car accident 
who was married to a Japanese woman, has two children to her. She got on a plane with him and his brain injury, brought him back to Napier, booked him to a motel, and she flew home and left him here with the family because there was no way they could provide what he needed. His goal was to get back to Japan and be with his family. There is no way you're going to get any other support that can get here, over there. No, that's absolutely right. It's absolutely backing up what you just said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the thing about insurance is, like, the minute, the minute you go through something like that, nobody yeah. will cover you. Yeah. It's like, why would they? Right. Yeah. He was stuck. Do, do you think that sometimes the physical barriers, not because you and I both are in chairs or say sure. physical barriers that we encounter, are still not as bad as the cultural or societal barriers? Here's the thing, I'm so glad you raised that, because in Japan, they're getting ready for the Olympics. So, to my shock and surprise, everything about the physical environment was, you know, world class. Right. Everything was accessible. I couldn't go five meters without finding a disabled toilet. Really? So, so in, in that regard, I was actually a little bit embarrassed because I'm like, you know, we like to think of New Zealand and New Zealand policy is quite forward, getting things done, things like that. But I guess for the built environment, uh, access, universal design, it's still sort of seen as a nice to have, really. Yeah. And I would like us to get over that as soon as possible because the interesting thing about Japan is they even explained to us that they, they weren't even doing it because it was a nice to have thing they were doing it for economic reasons as i explained earlier there's no retirement plan that means typically speaking if you'll excuse the phrase people work till they die so so in order to enable that to be a reality they make the entire place accessible right. <laughs> so, so you can go on your little frame and, and later work well <laughs> Without even joking, that that's entirely why they did it. So, so I, I took that back to ODI. Yeah. You know, I had to do a report on it actually, and Brian has that report, and he took that report and said, "Oh, this is great, but we're studying what's going on in Canada." So, fine. <laughs> I actually like Brian. So, continuing with this theme about Japan, you, you know, as I said, you know, having the human rights conversation was very difficult for them because they're simply not at that place. But as soon as we got talking about happiness, that's where things got better and also weird. <laughs> so, Japanese people don't particularly entertain the concept of happiness because it's deemed as inappropriate or behaviour not befitting of someone in a work or community environment. So, so, but where it ended up is I got agreement from them that happiness is important and that every human being, regardless of ability or background, needs to achieve this thing. 
So, so the conversation that I wanted to have is like, so we can all agree that happiness is cool and great, but you know, we also want to be careful of the bias that we project around happiness. Because what, what I would find is my happiness probably almost certainly wouldn't be yours. So in, in generating an understanding about happiness, we really got to take a one person at a time approach around that. And, and there are individuals in our community that I've spoken to that literally cannot answer the question, what makes you happy? And it comes back to that empowerment thing. That's where we are even now. 2018, moving into 2019, we've got community members that can't answer that question. They might tell you that they like watching Coronation Street, but that might be because that's the only thing they do. So, so I'm really, I'm really concerned about that, and I don't have a huge amount of like, like solutions around it. But I'm sure that you guys are talking to people, really digging deep in terms of uh, what it is people want. And I just want to thank you for that because there are people all over the place that struggle to even fathom what this means for them. You know, I'm, I'm, how old am I? 33. 34, I think, actually. So, so, so I'm, I'm 34 years old now. And, and I think for all of us, it's, it's a question, you, you know. What made us happy even last week might be different to what, what we're trying to uh, achieve now. And, you know, I think it was um, Abraham Lincoln that spoke about the pursuit of happiness, because as human beings, we're never actually satisfied. Uh, like, once we get that thing, we want we want more. I, I would say to that, that's fine. I, I actually like that that's what people do. My, my mother's always telling me to be grateful, and being grateful is important. But striving, striving is also cool. And, and I heavily promote that in the disability community. For, for those that achieve a certain goal or a thing they want to do, I'm always pushing them to say, are you done? Because I'm sure you're not. And it's really good. So on that, you, you know, I was, I was hoping there'd be, there'd be a lot more people. So, but this might work even at a small scale, you, you know, on that topic of happiness, you know, is there anybody willing to share what they want? Like, like I know it's a very general question and I've left it that way on purpose. What makes you happy? I find my family and my friends make happy. That's great. I like that. Uh, the next bit I want to talk about is the leadership problem. Now, as a disabled person, you know, we've forever been offered leadership opportunities and leadership courses and, and the ability to, to extend our leadership. Uh, the issue for me around this, and I'd agree this is probably a simpleton view, but 
you know, of all these disabled people becoming leaders, who exactly are we leading? It's sort, of, it's sort of like, you know, and, and bearing in mind what I said earlier about the tendency for more prominent disabled leaders to kick the ladder out, that you, you might make the case for the fact that, you know, leadership courses are necessary because you're always starting uh, from the bottom level. But the, the point I really wanted to hit on in terms of this, what well, was really a call out uh, to any of the disabled leaders that you might know and, and just say, hey, I, I think you could actually do a bit to solve this as well. Because as disabled people, we often look to others to solve things for us. And, and that's quite relevant in terms of the conversation we're having about the system. But I'm always sort of posing it back to people around me saying, well, what can you do? What's your bit? You've got a job now, you, you've made it, you, you've got skills. You, you might have even, if, if the only thing you've done is gone to school, like that's great. You, you've got a degree that you can, you know, share your understanding and learning with everybody. It's been quite confronting in the, in the conversations I've had of what? You, you mean I could, I could work to help resolve this? Of, of course, of course we can. And, and the disabled people that can uh, need to be creating the opportunities for those that need more support too. So through every different opportunity, whether it was employment or contracting whatever before i ever left a situation i always made a space for someone else it's really that simple and, I, and i'm picking on disabled people around this so <laughs> but but i i think i think disabled people could actually uh do more work and rose knows how critical i am of disability leadership online so sorry about that rose People often ask me, you know, in terms of the stuff that I do and, and the things that I say and the content I make, why do I do it? Really simple. The mere fact that you are going to die. I, I cannot think uh, of a single more impressive motivator than reminding myself of this every single day. Sure, the system sucks. I don't quite have all the support I want. People are mean to me sometimes, but still, I'm going to die. That's really all I got to say on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, while I'm here, I may as well do something. Now, I wouldn't recommend going, going around to lots of disabled people and saying this. <laughs> I, I think it, I think it takes a certain kind of approach to make it okay for people, but... So if I see Jade Sip. Jade Yeah. I just think in terms of empowerment, you, you know, I was the kind of kid that needed a bit of this shock factor because people could tell me that I was great, that I was personable, that 
that I could do things, but it really didn't connect until I realized I was going to die. <coughs> and, and, and what what's more, what's more disturbing than realizing this is having a life that is unlived. So I work every single day, even on a Sunday, thanks Rose, um, to make sure that my life is lived. And, and I would hope that uh, for all of you. So at the, at the front of the presentation, I talked about the narrative. I talked briefly about the fact that it's controlled by a lot of people. It is controlled by the government. It is controlled by providers because they they have certain resources to be able to develop uh, reports um, for the government. It's it's controlled by families as well. Not not always in a way that reflects uh, disabled people positively. Most of the time it is. Not always. So the the bit that I say to disabled people, and I'll be here this afternoon specifically talking about the op opportunity within social media and how to use it is, you know, we need to be sharing our own stories on our own terms. Like, like we're not going to be Casey Neistat or, you know, PewDiePie overnight, but the, the point is share what you've got to say so other people can hear it. You know, you know, as much as we all use Facebook, there is just an absolute screeching silence of disability content. Unless it's something really fluffy and embarrassing. Or very, very inspirational. Mm -hmm. Very, very inspirational to the point where I need a spear bucket, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, inspiration is great. Inspiration is great, and we all need it to some degree. But the the danger I feel is that you know society builds this view that disabled people inspire people for the fact that one they never want to become that, and two just leaving the house is awesome. They're not great messages. I'm sure you'd all agree. Yes, I, for me the frustration with that is, oh look at that disabled person doing this feat. Gosh, if they can drive the bike, <laughs> you know, it just is really like you've got that just compare yourself and say, oh they can do that, so I can do this. Yeah. Really. And of course leaving the house, Jay just got to say, and remembering your name. That's you know, for some sometimes I get it. I get it. Yeah, my style advice sometimes professionals say, oh, so you can work. It's like, you know, that's what I turned up from my dress clothes and my ID. Just, you know, yeah, yeah, no. Similar thing for me, you know, I pull up at the airport and, yeah. you, you know, people are just making conversation, oh, we're here up to Wellington, you know, what are you doing? Government policy. And then they look at Hannah just to make sure I'm not like lying because obviously I'm lying. Oh, sorry to interrupt. The biggest thing that I then hate is that they will then turn around, <laughs> turn around in circles, and they'll 
you know, stop and talk to me and talk over Jane and I'm like, yep, oh still no, he doesn't, he doesn't do that, does it? Does he? I just hate it when they talk over him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does he need a cushion? Yeah, it's just like, oh. so, Simon, what is up? This is Simon, everybody. Oh, yeah. That's 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 that. That. <laughs> Expecting an introduction. Thank you for having me. No, that's okay. We were just talking about the disability narrative, uh, a topic that you know I like to talk about a lot. So, so I think you, you know it needs to be led by disabled people a lot more. Like, you, you know. I, I, I think it's important that disabled people are visible and places like social media are important mm. places to change what's currently able to be seen. But I think if we confront the reason why there isn't disabled content currently in social media, we, 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 we change a, a bigger part of the problem. I mean, part of the problem here is that people show their best selves on Facebook. They don't they show do. authentic selves. They if do. we show their authentic selves on Facebook, we would show some <coughs> vulnerability and we would show like like completely different faces that we have. And we're not free to do that, none of us are. But if we were, it would make those those virtual public spaces much freer and safer for everybody. More so for I guess people who are currently not seen. No, I'd have to accept that, and, and you know, even in the more elite spaces of social media, mental health and suicide attempts are a big problem for, for those guys making millions of dollars per video. So, I, I, I know I know what you mean by you know a false narrative that we that we can project. Um, I I don't always put my one hundred percent self out there because I guess. You know, you gotta save a bit for your whanau and yourself and your, and your personal life. But if there's one person that I can point to around that would be Kylie Black. Um, she she is a influencer in the Waikato area. She's part of the Waikato demonstration. Um, she makes daily content on Facebook, a lot of it live, and all of it fantastic. Kylie and I are really good friends. And Especially when she's perhaps looking very physically unwell and she'll make comments about how she's that day and what's happening as well. So there is a vulnerability that she shows that I think actually- She's done it so well. That many of us actually would shy away from, you know, and it's just so exposing. Yeah. So yeah, take your point and actually absolutely agree with that. Which kind of makes my next slide a bit awkward because, because I, I wanted to talk about positivity a bit. And, um, you know, what, what I see out there in the conversations that I have and uh, the content that I see is very negative. Like, the government needs to do this. I don't have enough of this. I hate the government because like, like, it's all fine, it's all, it's all accurate, and, and we need to embrace and appreciate their, their perspective. Um, but for me, there never seems to be any attempt at positivity, and, and that's pretty rich coming from me when my last, 
my last video actually was RIP social model, but because I, you know, I just chimed in on disability pride and how I thought that it wasn't actually a thing if you subscribe to the social model. So, so Rich coming from me talking about positivity, but I, I really just wanted to create an opportunity for the community to think about, you, you know, do we really need to say that thing that we're always saying, or, or could we look for opportunities in the spaces where we don't go? Um, the the last the last topic actually uh, that I have to talk about is something really fundamental: free will. And, and I'm not going to get all philosophical or talk about whether we're in a simulation or not. Um, but I, I do want to talk about the fact that, you know, we have the choices that are in front of us, but we also have the choices that we want. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe physically, physically things may not be directly available to us right now, but that doesn't mean we can't choose them. So, so even as restrictive, as the disability community might say things are, you still absolutely have the option of free will. You, you can decide what it is you want and head straight towards that. Because what we've seen, and it took 30 years to get to this point, but disabled people said we will change the system. It took 30 years, but we changed it. And we're, and we're gonna change it more and more and more. So what, what I would encourage disabled people and their families is to say don't don't settle for what's in front of you appreciating there may be day-to-day -day struggles that may make it impossible to fight every day i understand you can't do that but but never give up on the fact that you have the ability to choose and with that ladies and gentlemen i am jade farrow and that's all i got for now <laughs> and Jade, afterwards, you'd be, you'd be willing to take a few questions with Absolutely, if there are any more. Yeah, any more any other questions? What the hell was that? It's also an acceptable <laughs> question. Um, Jade, I think yes. the people that I've been working with lately, the majority of them all seem to have the attitude of us doing for them. Yep. And so I'm, I've been like saying to them, well, let, before I see you next time, I want you to find out about blah, blah, blah. But a lot of them are really struggling with that. And is that because the way the system's always worked is it has been a, we do for you and not giving the people the sort of getting them to do things for themselves? So I'll go one step further and say not only does the system say we'll do it for you, but also we'll do it for you because we're not going to allow you to. So, so, so I, think, I think for all of you here, um, that the, the real bit of insight and advice I would give, I think, is to say, yeah, it's not great and you want to you, you wanna help them on a path to be more autonomous and make their own choices. But for a lot of people out there, um, it's going to be a journey and they're not going to get it straight away and, that, and for a lot of people there might be a huge element of anxiety around what you're asking them to do 
Think about it. Never been asked to do it before. Now you're making them do it. And, and that that's what disabled people and families demanded. They did. It's in the policy. The high level design, we asked for this. But there are some people that didn't engage with that process. So I'm almost going to say it's not fair for them to have to make these choices right now. But maybe is there a step before to support them to know what's even out there kind of thing and make it a more gradual process? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've just been saying to them, like, one lady wanted to... Um said that she really wants to do crafts and I says well what sort of crafts would you like to do and she said she wasn't sure and I says well how about um, for the next week if you're comfortable with you google crafts that are in your area and then you know when I next see you we can discuss you know what you found and what you'd like to do so they have been really hard choices but I've just found that they sort of look at me in shock as if to say oh my god you want me to do this the empowerment doesn't exist Disabled people have been done to, uh, they've been done for, uh, they've been told they can't. Uh, I shared many examples of that this morning. Um, yeah, it's going to take time. And like, like the bit that I didn't touch on was, you know, okay, so, so how did I, how did I get out of that pattern? I suppose it was a bit of that shock factor. I've been, been told I'm going to die. Be careful how you use that. Um, <laughs> But, but also, there, there were people that never gave up. And, you know, when we were doing research for the, this presentation, Hannah pulled up a video from like 10 years ago that I did with Attitude. It's terrible, don't watch it, my, my, my hair is a mess. But, but, but I, I talked about the fact that, you, you know, this, this leader of a youth organization, she didn't, she didn't give up. I told her to leave me alone. I told her to get out of my way. I told her I didn't want her around, but she was skillful enough to know that that wasn't the case, that I was just struggling with the idea of being in control. So the other bit is you might find a bit of that. People, people will tell you you must go away. I don't like this. I don't want to see you. You know, I don't want to tell you guys how to do your jobs, but I, I would, I would sort of signal that that's not entirely what people mean when they're saying that. They're, they're just signaling that they don't know how to process uh, what's going on.